0: Alright guys, we're a very exciting and important message tonight. This is cell number 5 and 6 in Revelation. Uh, just a quick little read, because it's more so talking about um, the plea of the martyrs, not so much another um, death or warfare or something else attacking the earth. It's, it's kind of more so talking about the effects the saints are going through in this time, which the saints are God's people. So during the tribulation period, there'll be many, many people, as you'll see, 144,000, that will turn to Christ uh, and that will will honor him and glorify him through the midst of all this tribulation. And many of them, you're going to see here in Psalm number five, die during this time. They're killed by some of these things that are happening. And so naturally, as God's people, you feel like, God, why are you allowing me to die when I'm doing the right things, and all the only people out here are worshiping the Antichrist and doing horrible sinful acts and they're not repenting, when I'm up here trying to praise and glorify you, how come I'm getting hurt or my people are getting killed because of the things going on as well, why am I also affected? And so tonight in sin number five, you see the plea of the martyrs, of the saints, the saints that have been martyred, that have been killed in the tribulation period up to this point through all the warfare and the famine and the death by multitudes, you begin to see Uh, Their kind of response to God and then God's response back to them. It's very fascinating um, When you dive into this how God responds to their complaining or pleading and and, and The reason maybe he's allowing some of this to happen And it really opens up your mind about who God is his character and ultimately his grace, which you'll see at the end So I want to read it off to you guys. It's pretty short and we're going to dive into it a little bit It's in Revelation chapter 6 and it starts in verse 9. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony for which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little bit while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed, as they were, was completed. So, why does God allow the saints to be killed? Now, it doesn't say, black and white there, in the passage, why he allows that to happen. But, as you start reading Revelation, and as you even dive into that passage a little bit, you see God tells them to wait a little bit longer until the number of saints ends up being basically 144,000, I'll die and it's totally complete. And so I sort of dive a little bit deeper, okay, well, why does that have to happen? Why is that part of God's plan? And there's two reasons I came up with why it possibly may be the case. Number one is it could simply be like today, believers die today. And we question that today, like, well God, if this person that I know, my sister, my brother, my cousin, or my friend, they were living the right way. They're doing everything right. And God, why did you give them cancer and not this person over here that is this terrible, simple person? We do the same kind of thing today. And what I've learned throughout my life and through reading reading scripture is sometimes it could be to to simply um, because that person, when they die, through their death, Christ is even more magnified. One of the best examples I can show. Uh, you guys, I've shared it with our youth many times, is Jeremy Kemp's first wife. Jeremy Kemp's the famous Christian singer. His first wife, he described her as this wonderful person that loved and praised God. She was diagnosed with cancer. He couldn't understand why God would give her that. Through uh, a few years of suffering, I think is what it was, she ended up getting in remission. He was praising God, thanking God, and then several months after that, it hit again, and she died. And Jeremy Kimmel was so mad and so upset and so frustrated with God, why would you allow this to happen such a wonderful, perfect person, basically, in his life? Well, not long after that, several months after, you know, this grieving period had gone on, Jeremy Kimmel decided to sing again. And at one of his concerts, this lady came up to him and said that, I was at a show you did, you know, about a year ago, and I saw your wife that was sick. And she was going through immense pain and suffering, but through all of that, she was raising her hands, praising God, and she had a peace about her that I'd never seen before. And I said, man, if she can have that kind of peace and that suffering, then I know God is real, and God can save me and give me that kind of peace and the things I'm going through. And she said, I gave my life to Christ that night, and things have been radically different since then. Well, since that moment, Jeremy came and spread her story around and and, and they've, been, they've made a movie about it, I think a book as well. And thousands to possibly millions of people have been impacted now by her story. And they've either given their life to Christ or strengthened their faith in God, seeing her faith in the sufferings. So sometimes I believe God allows people to die uh, and, and have these horrible diseases that are Christians. Because he knows through that suffering, or even through their death, his name will be even more magnified through that. And ultimately when they get to heaven... They'll be rewarded for their um, patient endurance and their faithfulness to the trials. Now, there's a second reason I believe this also could be the case during this during this period. It could simply be like today, oh, I'm sorry, it could can, can also be to show Satan that even if Satan kills some of his people, eventually in the end, which we'll see at the end of Revelation, these 144,000 people that died, that are Christians during this time, will all be in heaven. Glorifying and praising God, and reigning in the victory over Satan, as he gets thrown into the everlasting fire, they'll be in heaven in a place of perfect peace with no more pain and no more suffering. And so, think about how humbling that would have to be for Satan, and also a big slap in the face to think that, oh, I finally got some of God's people. I didn't just, you know, mess with them or cause suffering. I actually killed, you know, thousands of God's people. And look at me. So then realize, oh, at the end, all of them are in heaven glorifying and praising God and being blessed because of it, and you're getting thrown into an eternal fire pit. could be because of that, too. Maybe it's both. But what we have to understand is God's plan is bigger than ours. And whatever the case is, we understand that a lot of people are going to die, uh, Christian and non-Christian, during this uh, tribulation period. So you see the martyrs in this passage, please, God, how much longer, please, you know, please avenge our blood. And God tells them, wait just a little bit longer. Okay, wait just a little bit longer. And I think in our lives today, many of us try to rush God's plan. You know, we, we maybe think that we need to be in a certain position at work or get a certain promotion. Or maybe we think, you know, I should have kids at this age or be married by this age or have this house or whatever it may be. You're like, God, why are you not giving it to me? I'm trying all these steps. I'm trying. I'm trying to be faithful to you. Why are you not blessing me in this way or this way or give me this? And a lot of times God's answer is not no, it's just not right now. Wait a little bit longer. And sometimes we don't understand why we have to wait. But eventually when you see the end of Revelation, God's open plan come together. It's an incredible moment. All these saints that have martyred come together and reign in victory. It's just a wonderful, wonderful scene. And then obviously for the rest of eternity, they're in heaven with God. And so, they're going to get their redemption in in, a better way than they could could ever imagine. And the same thing is true in our lives today. When we're going through suffering, or when things aren't happening for us right now, it's not that it never will happen for us. It's just maybe God's saying that, wait a little bit longer. Because through this suffering, through these trials, I'm trying to show you something. I'm trying to teach you something. And if you just patiently wait through these trials and sufferings, rejoice in them and give them to me. I'm going to teach you such valuable lessons and give you such great perseverance that when you come out of this and I do bless you and I do give you this in the future, you'll be one more grateful for it but also be a stronger Christian and believer for me. You'll be a, would be a better disciple going forward. And lastly, God also, also reassures them a deliverance. As you see here in, in chapter 6, um, It says then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both number their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So God gives them this white robe, basically assuring them that you are going to be delivered. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this little gift, this little reminder to stay with you, so you know as you watch this rest the rest of this tribulation unfold, you're going to be one of the the blessed ones. You're going to be one of the redeemed. And there's a cool, cool part there in Revelation because God does this in our lives as well. We're going through suffering and we're like, God, why are you not um, bringing us out of this now? Sometimes God gives us little reminders in life, little blessings, little gifts. Maybe it's a, um, make through nature, whether it's through a person, or maybe it's through a physical gift. But if we're cognitive, and we're open and we're listening and we're looking for God to move and for God to speak to us, we're asking God to show us and reveal himself to us daily, God will give us little signs, little gifts, little things like that to assure us that he is with us at all times. And that even in the midst of our suffering, he still has a plan of deliverance in the future, whether here on earth or in the afterlife. And that God still loves us, and God is gracious, and he is going to redeem us. So then we're going to move into... Um, seal number six. Seal number six is <laughs> what I like to consider absolute destruction or absolute cosmic destruction. Now to picture this in today's time is, is, is kind of hard to do, but um, if, you, if you really think about the gravity of what's going to happen here, as like I said, it's hard to even picture in our mindsets today. I mean, it's going to be dreadful, absolutely dreadful. And this is all leading up to seal number seven. Which, you know, before, during, and after seal so number 7, basically takes up, you know, eight chapters in Revelation. It's a massive, massive seal of all kinds of crazy bad things that are going to happen. So seal 6 is kind of a precursor to what's really about to happen to seal 7. And so I want you guys to listen to seal 6 here. And it says in verse 12 in chapter 6 in Revelation, I looked and when he opened the sixth seal, behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by the mighty wind. And the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Now, if we move on, as stars are falling on earth and mountains and, and hills are getting removed, I'd be pretty freaked out. That's has to be a pretty incredible and also dreadful scene. And you can't miss this, because uh, I missed it several times when I was reading through it. If stars are falling on Earth, stars are like basically fireballs. And so think about a star coming from space and how fast it would be coming to Earth. When it hits the Earth, if you're thinking about Thousands of billions of stars. I mean, boom, 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 boom. I mean, destruction everywhere. And so, when you read the next part, it kind of opens your mind up to the response these kings had. It makes a lot of sense. Listen to how the people responded when this, or the people will respond when this happens. It says in verse 15 And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, and every free man, so basically everybody in, in, on earth during this time hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and sent to the mountains and rocks, follow on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So they have this response that, oh my goodness, we've got to hide ourselves. And they start going to caves and they start asking for rocks. Please follow on us, hide us, give us some shelter. I was from God, and I'm thinking two reasons here. One, it started to fall out of the place, I'm going to look get the shelter too. Okay? Uh, open open ground is, is waiting for death to happen to me. Uh, but number two is you see this pattern of shame from Genesis all the way to Revelation. These people know that nobody's perfect. They've messed up. They've sinned against God. You know whether it's great sin or small sin. I mean, they, they've been these really bad sinners. And they just made a few mistakes. They've all been—we all fall short of the glory of God. So the people that are here are hiding themselves, quote unquote, from God because they realize at this moment that God is 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 coming out for revenge, and and, and God's wrath is being released right now. It's going to get even worse here. Like I said, the seal seven. And even the non-Christians that it appears here seem to respect understand the power of God. They understand that they've fallen short of Him. But instead of asking for repentance, they try to hide themselves from God. And think, well, if we just hide ourselves and get away for a little bit, maybe God just moved past and not see us. I mean, kind of a dumb thing to think about because He's God. But if you think about it, in Genesis, the exact same thing happens. When the first human sin, and then, they, and then God calls out, he says, man, where are you? Adam, where are you? Adam and Eve are hiding themselves from God, I guess thinking that God will just pass them by and forget about it, and maybe and, and they'll just move on with their lives. Because when you sin, naturally shame follows this pattern of sin and shame because you know you've messed up false. It happens in Genesis all throughout Scripture, all throughout our lives, and even in Revelation here. The problem is shame and from sin, regret, should force us to repentance. But as you're going to see throughout Revelation, many of these people are just trying to hide and band-aid their problems and not get to the root issue and actually repent of their sin and give it to God. They're just trying to hide themselves from God from the time, get away from his wrath, and then move about their lives the way they've been living this whole time. Well, it doesn't work that way. God says, I mean, nobody's going to escape God's wrath. Nobody's going to escape the grip of God. And when God comes back, even through all of this destruction, a lot of people are still alive, the open invitation to come to Him is right there for them. All they have to do is repent of their sins, trust in Him, and He'll save them for all eternity. They may die during the tribulation period, sure, but they'll be in heaven with Him now for all eternity. Even though they've been the worst of the worst sinners up to this point, if they genuinely repent of their sin and give their lives to Him, He promises to save them during this time. However, many of them are going to refuse to repent. Even through all these signs, even acknowledging there's a God and knowing that he's real, they're still going to refuse to repent because the pride is that deep in these people. And the same thing is true in our world even today. When you become so prideful and so inwardly focused on yourself, trying to promote yourself, making yourself the one that's praised, and you have so much pride in your life, even when you know you're living the wrong way, the devil's got you in such a tight grip, you may just continue to live the wrong way. Because you don't want to admit that you're wrong. You don't want to show people that there's a weakness in you. Because you, you're afraid if you do that, no one's going to like you anymore. Everything's going to fall apart for you. But the truth is, until you break, your, you break down the barriers, and you break down the walls in your life, and come to Christ and say, God, I am a broken, filthy sinner. I need you you're never going to reach the full potential God has planned for you. You may succeed in certain areas of life, but you're only going to go so far. And even like it says here these great men, these great kings, these great rulers, all are going to fall short. All are going to be destroyed in the end. And the only thing that's going to matter when you get to judgment day is did you repent of your sins at one point in your life and start living for me? And if the answer is no, God, I knew you were real. I acknowledged you were there. But I just tried to hide run away from you and do my own thing. That's not going to be good enough. You're going to spend eternity separated from God. And God doesn't desire that, and you shouldn't desire that. So if you don't, and you're not a Christian today, repent. Give your life to Him. Put your trust and faith back in Him. And He promises God's grace is sufficient. He will forgive you of all your sins. So Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. If you met Jesus, I, I'm i a sinner. I need you. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. I'm going to give my life and start following you. Jesus promises that he'll, he'll engulf you with this Holy Spirit that will live in you for all, for all of the rest of your life. And he'll guide you into God's will and show you God's perfect plan that he has for you. It will give you a peace and a comfort and, 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 and a strength in the midst of the toughest trial you're going to go through And no matter what, God's presence will always be near. When you don't do that, you get shame, regret, depression, anxiety, the total opposite of the things that God wants to bless you with. So where are you at today? If you're in the tribulation period and you know God's will, you know things are happening, are you just trying to hide yourself in God and hope He passes you by so you can keep living the life you want to live as a sinful lifestyle? Or do you get to the root problem? that I need him in my life. I need Jesus as my Savior. And you break yourself down and say, God, I'm yours, i surrender. If you get to that point, that's when true blessing will happen. And when you get to the end of the book of your life, you'll be standing victorious with God as well. Let me pray for you. Phil, thank you so much for still number five and six in Revelation. And showing us, God, even the midst of destruction and chaos in the world, there's a plan in all of it. And the most important thing is that we give our lives to you and we trust you. And if we do that, God, you're going to reward us tremendously one day. And we're going to live in, in paradise and in heaven with you for all eternity. God, I ask that we, um, we trust you in life. We stand firm on your promises. And we don't just acknowledge you're real. We desire a relationship with you. And to strengthen that relationship each and every day in our lives. In we pray.